Second half of the semester, we have been looking at images of the church in the Bible. Um, and the reason we're doing this is that lots of us have ideas in our head about what the church is. And the church is actually God's idea. And he gives us images in the Bible that um, help us to make sense of, of this, this idea that he has this, this, um, of the church. And so uh, we've talked about the church as a temple. Last week, uh, Ben Milner was here and he preached talking about the church as a bride. And tonight we're going to talk about the church as a body. Um, and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. This is printed on the back of your bulletin. You can follow along there. This is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true, and he gives it to us in love. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Um, So I heard about a scientific study uh, where they took a monkey, and they put it in a cage, and then they shook up the cage to see how the monkey would respond. And the monkey freaked out. And then they took a group of monkeys, and they put, they put it with the monkey in the cage. And then they shook up the cage, and they found out that when the monkey had other monkeys with him, he wasn't as freaked out. That having a community around him, he was actually able to weather the, the shaking of the cage. Um, the, the premise of that study, I guess the result, is that monkeys do better in community. And the same is true for humans. We do better in community. And um, we know this, right? This is... This is why like, solitary confinement is torture for humans. Um, this is why when you have nothing to do on the weekend, like it, it, why it feels that way. Like Being alone, being, uh, being lonely is so hard for us. Uh, we need others to live. right? We need others to thrive. Um, and this principle carries into the, tr- into the church. Um, if you're a Christian, you need the church to live. You need the church to thrive. And Paul here is inviting us to think about the church um, using this image of the human body, right? The body is one. It is made up of all these individual parts, um, right? We have lots of body parts, but we have one body. It's pretty simple. This is what he's saying is, is with Christ. Um, and the church is called in this to have both unity, to be one, and to have diversity, to have many. Um, we see this principle, this unity and diversity principle all over the place, right? Think of a basketball team. Think of UVA, 
their basketball team go who's um right if everybody every there's there's unity they're one team and there's diversity they play their different roles but if they all played one role like if they all played point guard it wouldn't work um or if they all want to play center it wouldn't work right there's there's unity and the diversity um, and God is saying that with the body, that both in its unity and its diversity, this is the image that he's giving us. And he's saying um, to the church that you need the church and that the church needs you. Just as the body and its parts are dependent on one another, um, the church and Christians need one another to live. So to change the metaphor, um, the church is like a hug. And there are only two ways to get out of a hug. You can either pull away, right? you can shrink back, um, or you can push away, you can reject. So when you pull away, what you're saying is you're saying, well, the church doesn't need me. You're pulling away, pulling out. The church doesn't need me. Or when you push away, when you push away the church, you're saying, I don't need the church. Um, so that's going to be our outline for tonight as we think about this image of the body. Like In response to us pulling away, Paul says, the church needs you. And in response to us pushing away, Paul says, you need the church. So first, the church needs you. This is verse 15. He says, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Or if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong. So why would the foot say that to the hand? Let's get into this, this image a little bit. Why would the foot say that to the hand? Like maybe the foot looks at the hand and sees all the things that the hand can do that the foot can't do, right? It sees that it has an opposable thumb and it's jealous. And it sees that the hand can write things and can draw and that it can play instruments. It can pick stuff up and carry things. And um, like, think about your body. And what if you, what if your foot saw your hand? I know it's talking body parts. We have to get past that. Um, uh, if your foot said to the hand, uh, "Since I can't do all those things, hand, I don't belong." Um, right? Like, enter into this conversation with your foot. Like, what if your foot said to you, <laughs> terrifying? Um, what if your foot says to you, "Hey"? Uh, body, hey you, um, I'm not a hand, I don't belong. How would you respond? You'd say, I don't want you to be a hand. I want you to be a foot. Like, I need you to be my foot. I don't need you to be a hand. Um, of course you, you can't do those things. Um, you need to, your footness. That's what makes you so great. Um, now the ear. Like, what if the ear saw the eye or heard the eye? Uh, I joke. Um, what if it looked at the eye? And thought, look at all those things it does that I can't do, right? Like, it can see things, it can read, it can make eye contact and connect with another person, it can break eye contact and disconnect another person, it can close and make the person go to sleep. I'm an ear, I can't do any of that stuff, so I don't belong. Like, enter into this conversation with your ear a little bit. Um, If your ear said these things to you, again, ah, talking ear, uh, ear says these things to you, how would you respond? Um... Of course you can't do those things ear. You probably look in a mirror so you can talk to it. Of course you can't see those things ear. You can't do that. Um, I don't need you to do that. I need you to be my ear. I need you to hear things. I don't need you to be able to see things. You're valuable because of your earness. This is really silly, but I think this is Paul's point. I think what he's getting at is um, this idea, like what would happen if we were what we thought we should be? What would happen if we got to be what we thought we should be um, rather than what we are? Like, you think about a football team. Like, what if the wide receivers were like, hey, we really want to be quarterback? Then there's no, like, the team can't play. Like, what, what, if, we, what if we got to be what we thought we should be rather than what we are? Now, in the image of the body, right, it would be grotesque. Because it would, if every body part wanted to be an eye, then you would have, like, one big eyeball or, like, a pile of eyeballs. 
Or if every body part wanted to be an ear and got to be an ear, you would just have this heap of ears or one giant ear. I mean, this is what Paul's doing. This He's getting us to think in these absurd categories. Um, right? Verse 19, he says, if all were one member, then there wouldn't be a body. And this is very different than how we think about our own significance, right? We think... Um, we think that somehow if that there's something that we must become to become significant. And God is saying here that being part of a body makes you more significant, not less. So thinking about the church, for those of you who haven't joined a church during your time in college, um, could it be that the significance that you long for is actually found not in the pursuit of your own accomplishments, but rather through being part of what God is doing in the church? Think about the ways that you say, the church doesn't need me. The church doesn't need me. Think about the ways that you you pull out of that hug. Um, Paul is saying that if you are a Christian, this is equally as silly as a foot or an ear saying that they don't belong because of what they aren't. So how do we do this? How do you self-exclude from the church? How do you pull away? Um, Well, maybe you show up on church on Sunday and you look around and it seems that everybody else has it all together that their lives are intact, that their spirituality is intact, like they know what they're doing when they come to church, their families are intact, they just seem like they have it all together. The, the church looks like it's running on all, all cylinders, it's just like, I'm just not needed, they don't need me here. Like, um, it makes me think of Forrest Gump, you all seen this movie, early 90s, um, Tom Hanks, and when, when Forrest Gump is a kid, he has those braces on his legs, and he gets on the school bus for the first time, going to kindergarten, and he steps on the school bus with his braces on his legs. And he steps up, and there's an empty seat, and the little boy slides over into the aisle and says, seat's taken. And he goes to the next one, and the kid slides over and says, seat's taken. Um, I think that's sometimes how it feels when we walk into church, right? You walk in, and, um, and it feels like, well, this seat's taken. Like, this is all, we've got everything here. You're not needed here. Maybe a church down the street um, could use you, but, but we don't need you here. I think that's how it, it often feels. And y'all, this is a lie. If you're a Christian, the church needs you. It needs you to share your gifts and your abilities with them. The body can't thrive without you. The church needs you. There are no non-essential personnel in the church. Um, so here's what you can do. Um, grab a friend and go to church. Um, if you're looking for a church, you don't know where to go, there's, you've got a list of churches that uh, support RUF and uh, we love here in the Bulletin. Just go check out one of those churches with a friend and go and show up and say, what can I do? Um, then show up the next week and keep showing up. And when they have things that for people to sign up for volunteers, sign up for stuff, help out, join. Like, join a church while you're in college. Um, actually become a member of a local body. Like, get your gifts, the ways that God has gifted you, synced up with the church's needs. The Bible tells us that every Christian, every individual Christian has spiritual gifts. Specific gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you for the building up of the church. So figure out your gifts and sync them up with the church. Go serve with the church. Um, and y'all, I know that you're scared of committing to things. Like, um, I know how, I know what FOMO feels like. Like, I know how it plagues us. And there's this fear of like, if I commit to that, there's going to be something else that's better that's going on. I don't want to miss out on that better thing. Um, but your FOMO is keeping you from being useful to the church. Right? You can't be useful if you don't commit. There will always be a cooler church somewhere else. Um, And there will always be something that you discover in the church that you commit to that annoys you. 
Um, I had a conversation with a student a couple years ago, and we were talking about church, and she said, I asked her if she'd found a church, and she said, well, actually, I found three churches. Um, One, I go for the preaching, and one, I go for the music, and one, I go for the community. And so she would rotate around going to each one um, with no real church home. And as we talked about it, she began to to see that she was treating church as if it existed to, to meet her felt needs, um, rather than it being the body of Christ that she was called to love. And so she is settled in a church. Uh, it's not perfect, um, but she loves it. It's a church that she loves and is committed to. And y'all, I know a lot of you are bouncing around. Uh, you're, you're trying to create a tailor-made experience to fit your preferences. And what Paul's doing here is he's encouraging you to stop shopping, but to show up and to give so that you can actually serve. Like you have something to give. I think often as colleges, you don't think that you have anything to give, but you do. You have so much to give. You have gifts that God has given you for the church. Um, You can't serve where you don't stay. Um, So my encouragement to you is to go and to stay. So to change the metaphor, uh, a lot of you are dating the church. And uh, it's time to get engaged. right? You've seen the church, warts and all, a little smelly, not sure if you want, but it's time to get engaged. It's time to commit. The church needs you. Um, Brian Habig, who's a pastor, says that he says this, the church is a body and you are either a productive member of that organism or you are actively contributing to its dismemberment. Uh, The church needs you. And second, you need the church. So back to Paul's image. Verse 21, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Now, why would the eye say this to the hand? Again, talking body parts. Why would the eye say this to the hand? He would say, like, you know, I can see fine without you. I don't need the hand. I can see everything fine. But what if the lights are turned off? Like you can't turn off a light switch with your eyeball, right? You need a hand to do that. Um, the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you, right? The head leads the body. The head, it tells the rest of the body where to, the, where to go. The head can think and see and taste and smell and hear. But what if the thing that you want to taste and see and smell and hear is not here, but it's over there somewhere, right? You need feet to get there. And Paul is saying that the eye without the hand and the head without the feet um, is seriously impaired. He's saying that a Christian cannot say to another Christian, I don't need you and can't say to the church, I don't need you. So why? Why do you need the church? Um, Well, two reasons, to know God and to grow in God. So first, you need the church to know God. You need the church to know God. So last week, I wasn't here, and I was away for the week um, on a trip I do every year, which is um, an annual pastor's retreat. And I go with uh, a handful of other guys that were in this group that we were committed to each other. We meet annually, and um, it's a really sweet time where we, uh, we just, like, it's friendship. We share what's going on in our lives. We share what's going on in our ministries. We pray for each other. We eat well. We drink. We laugh. We cry. Like, we just share. It's really good. It's really um, um, helpful and good. And uh, one of the pastors in the group is uh, a dear friend of mine, Austin Pfeiffer, who's a pastor here in town at Salem Prez. And um, I, like, Austin and I meet here in town. We meet every other week. Um, we get together just to encourage each other. Just friendship. We meet regularly. When you're in your 30s, you need to schedule meetings. Well, you are wasting students. You guys schedule meetings all the time. But like, even more so, I feel like you need to schedule each other to actually see each other. And I thought, to be honest, I thought that um, I was getting more out of Austin when it's just the two of us. Like when it's just me and my friend, I thought I was getting more out of him. Um, but I actually get less. And I saw this this past week because 
it takes a group to draw out um, all that a person is. And when we're together in a group, I see more of the way he thinks. I hear different stories from his life. Like a different contour comes out in his laugh. Um, I, I, get more of, I get more of him. Um, more of him is present when we're in a group. And the principle here is that our experience of others is richer and fuller richer and fuller in a group than one-on-one. You know this. When you're with your friends in a group, the way that their personality is drawn out, our experience of others is richer and fuller in a group than it is one-on-one. And if it takes a community to really know a person, then how much more does it take a community to really know God? We got this idea in our heads that we can know God one-on-one, that we can just have this me and God spirituality. Like, I know how it goes, right? Sunday morning rolls around, and you realize that you're swamped with work, and that Sunday's just going to be an absolute marathon for studying. And so maybe, if it's a good Sunday morning, you might, like, listen to a podcast or watch a sermon or listen to some worship music in the morning and then go about your schoolwork. Um, and you think all is fine, right? You're like, this is fine. I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, I've got a friend who likes to say that there is no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. That the Bible actually has no category for this. That in the Bible, spirituality always takes place in relationships. The entire Bible is written to the church. Like, yes, of course, we have a dynamic love relationship with God. That is what God has bought for us in Christ. That his spirit dwells in us and we have this relationship with him. But it isn't just me and God. That he, he puts us in the church. The entire Bible is written to the community of the church. None of the letters are written to individuals. It's all written for the church to be received by the community. And you need the church in all of its diversity to know God. You need to be around old people, like old people, really old people, who've been through life and have been through hard things. Um, you need middle-aged people, like normal, pleated khaki, middle-aged people, who, not to bash pleated khakis, um, who like, have hard jobs and they're stuck in. You need people your own age who are going through stuff that y'all are going through. You need, you need high school students who um, are, are a step behind you. Um, you need children. Like, you need babies. Because babies are the most visual image that God has given us to show us what our relationship with him is like. Right? Babies can do absolutely nothing on their own. 100% need all the time. And that's us and God. And that's why like, we need the church. You need the church to see, oh, that's, that's what I'm like. I'm like that with God. Like, we're in a diaper, crying all the time. And he loves me. And he delights in me. Like, we need the church to see this. Um, y'all, this is why RUF can't be your church. We're a ministry of the church. And if you serve, if you're using your gifts in RUF, you are serving the church in a real way. But RUF is not the church, right? This is a you know, Wake Forest is a, is a micro demographic, right? Y'all are here because you want to be here. 18 to 22 year olds here. Um, if the church is made up of the people whom Jesus loves, then the more ethnically, culturally, politically, demographically diverse the church is, the better. Because the greater the diversity in the church, the fuller picture we get of who it is that God loves. Um, and getting a picture of who God loves, we get a fuller picture of God. We see him more clearly. 
So I mentioned a book a few weeks ago. I'm going to quote from it again. Um, this book, The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis. And in this book, he, uh, it's a fictional account of two demons writing to each other. It's an uncle demon writing to his nephew demon, encouraging him how to, um, how to do demon stuff. And the uncle's name is Screwtape, and his nephew's name is Wormwood. And, um, and so the enemy, when he talks about the enemy in this, he's talking about God because they're demons. And the patient is um, the person. So... Um, he's telling his nephew in this passage um, to tempt, how to tempt his patient around the idea of community. I'm going to read this for y'all. So this is uh, um, screw tape writing. One of, the great, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is a quite invisible thing to these humans. All your patient sees is the less than impressive church building where he goes on Sunday. And when he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with a rather oily expression on his face bustling up to him. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that section of his neighbors whom he would up to this, who he has up to this point avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people the next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter, your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Work hard then on the disappointment, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. I just want you to think for a moment with me how we see people in church who are not like us. Um, right? They often disappoint us. Right? They're not cool enough or they're too awkward, not really impressive, don't really seem like we can relate to them or that we can really get anything from them. Like Often we think, I just need a church with people like me. Like Where's the church with people like me? All those who aren't like me are holding me back in my spiritual growth. I just want to know, when we, when we think this, which is a thought I have thought, when we think this, we're saying that the way that we think we grow is through homogeneity, through non-diversity, through people just like me. And what if the exact opposite is true? What if the way that you're going to know God as he actually is, is by spending time with the church as it actually is? The unimpressive, often boring, messy group of sinners that it actually is. Jesus did not love the church because he came to her and found her beautiful. He loved her despite her obvious foulness. And in his love, he makes her beautiful. He didn't do this for an abstract, imaginary bride. He did this for real earthly believers, the same people that are in the local church. Y'all, you cannot know God without knowing his people. You need the church to know God. You need the church to know God and you need the church to grow in God. Um, it's really easy to be a Christian by yourself. But it's really hard to actually forgive others and to actually be forgiven by others. And it's really hard to love others and to confront them and to be confronted by them and to bear others' burdens and to have them bear yours. But what if this is the point? What if the Christian life is supposed to be hard? What if it's supposed to be messy? What if the community of the church is what God is using to sanctify me and grow me? Now, you might be thinking, like, why can't I just listen to my favorite preacher? Like, I've got his podcast, um, and why can't I grow that way? 
Well, think about it this way. Think about your science classes, right? Your science classes, you've got a lecture in a lab. And sure, you can get the lecture anytime, right? You can get notes from a friend, or sometimes your, your professors actually just post their notes so you can, you can get them online. But you have to show up for lab. You have to show up for lab, because the lab is where you actually figure this stuff out. So the church is the lab where you learn to love God and to learn your neighbor. This is why you can't grow in God in your relationship when it's confined to just you and Jesus in your Bible. Because Jesus calls us to love God and to love our neighbor, and we cannot grow in love alone. Like I said before, a personal relationship with Jesus just doesn't exist. There is no category for it in the Bible. And if you see your spirituality as me time, then you're never going to learn to love anyone. Also, if your Christian community exists of just people that are your friends, um, you've got a Bible study that's just you and your buds or just you and your girls, um, this is really commendable. I just want to encourage you. This is, this is great. But if that's all that your Christian community is, if you only surround yourself with people just like you, you will never grow or learn to love. In the church, there are lots of people who we would not choose to be around on our own. Jesus wants us to have them around us. He wants us to be around them, to see his love for them, to see them use their gifts in the church, to mourn with them when they suffer, to rejoice with them when they're honored, so that we will grow together in his love. I mean, it's easy to walk into a church and look around and say, these people aren't my people, right? These are my people because of how they dress, because of what they look like, um, but they are Jesus's people. And if you belong to Jesus, they're your people too. Here's the thing. Once you commit, once you make the promise to show up, to keep showing up, once you find yourself in the context of the church, you will start to actually see your need for Jesus. The church is where you are seen and exposed, and it's where you see Jesus. And Jesus has grace for lazy, narcissistic sinners like us. Um, I want to close with a story that I heard from a friend. Uh, um, I looked this up. It is completely true. I promise this actually happened. Okay. So on a Sunday in 2007, there was this family reunion that took place at a lake outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And as the family was picnicking, the the news article said that they were eating um, roast pork and doing the Macarena together. So you can imagine this family um, and their roast pork and Macarena glory together. As they're having their party, a man with a snorkel walks through the tree line, stumbling, grasping at his left shoulder where his arm used to be, blood spurting out between his fingers, yelling, an alligator ate my arm, call my wife. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Um, Because he he was snorkeling in the lake nearby and an alligator ate his arm. So there happened to be five nurses at, this, at this, this party, and so the nurses quickly get the man, and they lay him down, and they, uh, like they, they address the wound and put ice on his, uh, where his arm was and um, like talk to him, keep, keep him talking, keep him awake. And then one of the men at the reunion follows the trail of blood through the woods and comes up on the shore, and there's this puddle of blood, and he says that he looked out across the water, and they're 25 feet out was a 12-foot alligator. I don't know how big that is. 12 feet alligator. <laughs> 550 pounds with the man's arm in his jaw. And the newspaper article says, and he locked eyes with me. <laughs> so um, paramedics show up. 15 minutes later, they airlift the guy. to. He survives. The guy makes it. Uh, they airlift him to a hospital in Charleston. And then uh, the park rangers show up. 
And then they, at the risk of their own lives, go and hunt down this alligator. So they go and they find the alligator and they shoot him and they kill him and they get out their knife and they cut open its belly and they pull out the arm intact, not chewed up. And then they get a cooler from the party. They wrap up the arm and they put the arm in the cooler and then they put it in a car and get a police escort and drive it to the hospital to reattach the arm. All right. Why do I tell this story? So why do this? Why go through all this trouble? Um, Why go through all this trouble? Y'all, a disconnected arm is worthless and a body without an arm is incomplete. Um, And for some reason, some of you who are Christians have severed yourselves from Jesus' body. And not at risk to his his life, but at the cost of his life, Jesus has come to get you and to reattach you to his body. The church needs you and you need the church. Let's pray. Jesus, um, thank you for this image you give us in scripture, this uh, absurd image of a body and talking body parts. And just to help us make sense of what you've designed us for, um, Lord, if we're honest, we know that we push away and we pull away, that we say we don't need it, we don't need your church, and we believe the church doesn't need us. And pray that you would help us, Lord, help my friends here to move towards the church, um, whom you love, that they um, they might grow in knowledge of your love and grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.